1: Welcome to the Sherlock's in Conversation podcast with me, Charlotte Collins. This week, we're going to be talking about sleep because if there's one topic consistently making the headlines in the wellness world. It's sleep or our lack of it. Getting through the days in just a few hours sleep used to be seen as a bit of a badge of honor, but with recent studies linking sleep deprivation to everything from diabetes to depression, we all want to know how to get more sleep. So whether you take ages to fall asleep or wake in the early hours with insomnia, millions of us are struggling to get that good night's sleep. So I am hugely excited to be joined by Dr. Katharina Liedler and Dr. Guy Meadows, both sleep experts from the renowned sleep school who are going to be answering your sleep questions from the signs you could do with more sleep, what affects your sleep patterns, and ultimately, how to go to sleep and stay asleep. I feel like I've said sleep many, many times in the last few minutes. Welcome, Kat and Guy. I mean, it's its the hot topic. It's its such a hot topic, isn't it?
0: It is. And it's been a hot topic for a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing because we definitely need more sleep.
2: Is our sleep getting worse? Good question. Um, I think for some people, it definitely is. Um, and interestingly, for some people, it may
0: get a little better. So it's it's a mixed bag. I would add on to that as well, that obviously, we're recording this, you know, as we've been going through a global pandemic. And actually, Sleep School did some research at the beginning of this year, which showed that 49% of the UK population were experiencing worse sleep as a result of COVID-19. So we certainly know that COVID has brought an extra element of sort of stress and worry and lots of the factors which can disturb sleep
1: okay so no surprises there let's start with why sleep is so important what does it do for us why do we need it so badly
0: i've got this phrase which i like which is uh, sleep is the single most powerful performance enhancing health provider behavior known to humankind which uh, kind of sums up that sleep sleep impacts us in the short term you know sort of uh, every day it helps us to do what we're doing right now to be focused and attentive to think up great questions to communicate, et cetera. It helps us to manage our mood on a daily basis as well. So that's, you know, super important for us to be able to communicate again as humans, you know, to work together as groups. But then it also helps us in the long term as well. And as you sort of touched on, it's everything from, you know, sort of washing our brains on a nightly basis and helping to reduce our risk of, say, Alzheimer's um, and dementia. It's helping to manage our blood glucose levels and reducing our risk of diabetes, helping to lower our blood pressure, keep our hearts healthy, even manage, manage our appetite hormones to help us to manage our weight. So sleep is, yeah, it's, it's pretty, there's not a single biological process that sleep doesn't touch in some way.
1: So Kat, how does a bad night's sleep or consistently bad night's sleep affect our body kind of in real time?
2: Yeah, in in a way it turns upside down everything Guy was just saying, right? Starting with sort of your alertness and attentiveness, right? This ability to concentrate and focus your attention, shift your attention deliberately all of that sort of goes out of the window to make sound decisions, sort of your sort of awareness of what's going on, weighing things up, gets a knock. And I think particularly important is, is the mood, is how we feel within ourselves and how we interact with the world around us. And we see sort of aggression going up or irritability, but also withdrawing from others, which right now where we are sort of still in some kind of lockdown, um, you know, where we are physically isolated from one another you know that can make matters worse and we feel even more lonely Um, and that then can also have a knock-on effect on maybe depression or anxiety disorders so there's also a relationship between poor sleep and and mental health disorders so there's yeah an awful lot gets sort of knocked back.
1: And why do some people sleep badly and others don't is it genetic you know what what is it that determines whether you're
2: going to be a good sleeper or not there are lots of different things right genetics probably play a role sort of a disposition and um we see that sort of poor sleep and mental health as i said depression anxiety disorder schizophrenia for example they go hand in hand and so you know either the depression leading to the poor sleep or the other way around. Then certainly our sort of ability to cope with stress and what we experience as stressful, that can vary between people, right? Different stressors and um, we may cope with one stressor but less well with another. So that can can have a knock-on effect. Then there seems to be a difference also between the sexes. So women also have a risk of, you know, higher risk of depression and anxiety, also suffer more from poor sleep. So that plays a role. and that can then also, you know, something like pregnancy, puberty, menopausal transition. I mean, that's basically every stage of life for women. So that's not great. <laughs> yep.
1: um, Guy, what, what, what is the optimum amount of sleep for the average woman? You know, obviously eight hours is the kind of elusive number. Is, is that correct? eight hours
0: is is the number that we hear all of the time the reality is is that how much sweet sleep we need is is in part determined by our genetics and it varies from individual to individual so it it will be a range and so anywhere between sort of six and nine hours should encapsulate around about sort of 97 percent of of the the population so the vast majority of us you know will be getting you know somewhere between that and waking up feeling refreshed if you're not waking up feeling refreshed it suggests then perhaps you're you're not getting that right amount, you know what what we often find is that some people might say, um, oh well, you know, I've read that I'm meant to be getting eight hours, but I get six and I feel absolutely fine. Well, if you feel fine, then just roll with that.
1: Okay, so you don't have to be too caught up in in what everybody's saying about it then. No, exactly. Let's take that the eight hours as an example. How do you know if the eight hours sleep you're getting a good quality hours? You know, I, I sleep for, for around eight hours a night, but I can't be sure that you know i'm really getting what i need in those hours we've all heard of rem kind of how long should
0: that last and how do you know if you're getting
1: the quality of sleep that you need
0: okay so again you know the simplest metric to know whether you're getting good quality sleep again is is you know are you waking up feeling refreshed but if, if we dive into what happens when we sleep we've got three different stages of sleep so we'll Uh, which we cycle through so we'll go from wakefulness into light sleep and then into deep sleep and then into rapid eye movement sleep and then uh, we'll have sort of a a brief momentary awakening and that's the end of a cycle uh, which lasts about an hour and a half to two hours and then we'll go into uh, we'll repeat that cycle and what we'll see is that proportion of light and deep to rapid eye movement sleep so what we call non-rapid eye movement sleep and rapid eye movement sleep will change throughout the night so you'll get the the vast majority of your sort of uh, non-REM or light and or sort of deeper sleep in the first third of the night and then you'll get your more rapid eye movement sleep in the second part of the night and so what we're looking for is complete cycles of light deep and REM sleep so and again this is really important because you know a lot of our clients will come to us and saying they want 100% deep sleep um, you know, they always want to sort of swim in the stuff. And mm. and that's where actually we realise that we only spend about 20 percent of the night roughly in, in deep sleep, about 30 percent perhaps in in rapid eye moon sleep and about 50 percent in light sleep. And each phase, each stage of sleep has really important biological processes. So it's, it's, it's about getting the correct amount of each stage of sleep uh, rather than honing in on one particular one.
1: So a good night's sleep isn't eight solid hours of sleep. You haven't failed if you've woken up a few times in the night briefly.
0: Absolutely. And that is one of the the key messages that we give to our insomnia clients because Mm -hmm. so many of them have in their heads this myth that they need to put their head on the pillow at this sort of, you know, this point here, they need to wake up here and there must be nothing in between, you know, they must have sort of, and the reality is, is for the vast majority of us, we will have these brief awakenings. And certainly, as we get older as well, um, we'll, you know, sort of, it becomes harder and harder to sew those cycles together as well. And so there's going to be more natural breaks.
1: Okay, you've made me feel better already. Cass, is there such a thing as too much sleep?
2: There is, there could be. Um, so we know that too little sleep has all these adverse effects that we started talking about in the beginning. Um, and too much sleep basically does, does the same. So there's sort of, um, if you want to draw a graph of sleep duration, that has got a U shape and the sweet spot is in the middle. And that's sort of, you know, seven to nine hours thereabouts. Anything that's less or much more can also lead to to poor sleep. Now, too much sleep in our society is though something we don't often come across because of 24-7 society, and um, so it is rare. However, yes, there is something like too much sleep, and that's detrimental to your health. Um, as you say, I'm not sure too many of us need to worry about that, do we?
1: There's that old adage that hours sleep you have before midnight are the most valuable. Is that true? Is there a time cut off, you know, or, or no, it's basically what you just said
2: about the wave. There isn't. Um, so we, we all have a body clock, sort of a biological master clock that sits in the brain. And that sets the timing for literally every process that is happening in your body, including when you sleep and when you're awake. And that differs between all of us, right? And it differs across our lifespan as well. Um, And so there is no sort of one size fits all um, sleep time as there is no one size fits all sleep duration. The key is that you find out what is my personal sleep time, my sleep window, and then sleep within that but sometimes you know we see clients in in the clinic who go to bed too early and then get worked up because they can't fall asleep and that's then sort of can contribute to their insomnia but it's partially because they've gone to bed too early before their body clock said hey it's now sleep time.
1: I'm a really good sleeper and I find if I relax in bed for even an hour before that's that's the time I can't sleep it's pretty noticeable if you spend too much time mm-hmm. in bed. If you are somebody then
2: who naturally
1: wakes up really early is there anything you can do to change your
2: body clock so you you can't willingly you know in the same way that you can't will yourself to sleep you can't sort of will yourself to sort of suddenly shift and become a late type but you you can there is some movement sort of in the system and one way you can do this is by changing your light exposure changing in a way when the lights come on when you open your eyes and when the lights go off when you close your eyes, if you are someone who wakes up really early and you want to come a bit later, what you would try to do is in the evening, actually make it really bright. So go against the advice that's generally given of dimming everything down. You want it brighter. And then in the morning, you want to avoid light as much as you can. And then that is something you have to keep doing. And of course, your whole activity rhythm or when you start eating, when you finish eating, that all has to shift accordingly. Um, and that then can be a way of shifting your clock. Sounds like quite a lot of work.
0: How do you know if you need more sleep? I think, you know, coming back to what I was saying earlier, that, that you know, that simple measure is if, if you're waking up feeling you know, unrefreshed, if you're finding that you're struggling during the day, if you're, you're finding it hard to focus and concentrate, you're experiencing mood swings or cravings, et cetera.
1: You know, I think most people, when their alarm goes off and wakes them up in the middle of a sleep, you, it's quite hard to know whether you've had a good night's sleep or not, because you've just been shaken awake. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, so, well, that's a really good sort of indication of perhaps what's happening for you or maybe <laughs> yeah. for, for many of us. Yeah. So, you know, in an ideal state, we would be hoping that we keep a regular sleep-wake cycle. So going to bed and getting up at roughly the same time. And we hope that our body clock was attuned to that. So that actually we wouldn't need an alarm clock. So. What that would mean, because the problem with an alarm clock is it's alarming, it's waking you up out of perhaps a middle of a sleep cycle because it has no respect for your sleep architecture. Mm. So ideally what you want to be doing is is coming out of the sleep cycle at the end of a sort of a a sleep at the end of that sleep phase and and that's where you're going to wake up and be most refreshed right and but everyone's going to have a period also it's, it's worth noting of what we call sleep inertia so sleep inertia is that that grogginess period of wakefulness between sort of the moment that you wake up to when you actually start feeling sort of you know ready to face the world and for some people that can be five minutes and for other people it can be four hours but the average for most people is about 30 minutes
1: okay interesting and that presumably changes as you get older i remember being a teenager and i don't know not feeling awake until about 12 p.m at school so that presumably you shake that off as you get older catch
2: yeah well you don't shake it off but it's your body clock that shifts right so that when you're asking about sort of you know the timing Um, there is a change across our lifespan and just really sort of broadly speaking, little children want to go to bed early, wake up early, you know, to the dismay of their parents. Uh, Teenagers then shift backwards, go to bed late and want to wake up late because they still need, I don't know, 10 hours depending on age. Um, And then it sort of swings forward again and then it settles for a little while. If people are listening and they've got teenage children
1: who they're kind of berating to to get out of bed, I mean, how changeable is that to teenagers just simply need that amount of sleep like should you just leave them to it
2: yeah absolutely they need their sleep right like an adult does and the younger you are in a way the more sleep you need that's why again depending on age they may need still 10 hours what you really want to push for is later school start times depending on age group devices like the phone or tablet the use of that at night isn't helpful Mm -hmm. but it's not the cause of the later bedtime it contributes but it doesn't cause it it's a biological change that takes place and we should be respecting it for the well-being of our children you know to ensure that you know actually they get the education and the well-being that we want for them let's talk about naps
1: are they ever a good idea are they beneficial guy the kind of infamous power nap should should we be power napping in the day
0: absolutely yes 100% 100% I love them <laughs> so so yeah I mean napping is uh well I mean I think if we talk about sort of humans in general we have there's two biological time points in which we can sleep there's the nighttime and that sort of post-lunch period that's because we get this sort of natural dip in our core cool body temperature so it suggests that we've kind of evolved to have a little bit of a a kip you know sort of post-lunch nice. but what's crucial <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a necessity <laughs> we need to do it and and there's so much research behind it, proving it to be beneficial. But the crucial thing about the power nap is what do we mean by it? So a power nap is anywhere between sort of 10 and 20 minutes. It's ideally between the time of midday and 3 p.m. when we get this natural sort of dip one of the most important things is just to see it as an opportunity to rest.
1: Okay, so you, you could technically be somebody who gets their full eight hours or whatever it is and a really good night's sleep and you'd still benefit from 10 to 20 minutes in the afternoon.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I would second that, you know, you don't necessarily have to sleep. So I'm not someone who who naps as in, I don't fall asleep, but just allowing my body to just slow down, mm. right? Just putting out that invitation and yeah, just, you know, resting the eyelids or maybe just, you know, reading a book or in that sense, kind of doing almost nothing. So even if
1: you suffer from insomnia or, you know, I can imagine there are people out there who think that, napping would then make
0: their nighttime sleep even worse but no that's just not the case well this is actually a really good point and it's and it's a sort of it what defines i think what we've done at sleep school because in traditional cognitive behavior therapy there's always been a rule which you shouldn't nap during the day and actually i disagreed with this the logic behind it was you don't want to nap during the day because it can steal from that drive, you know that sleep drive that you need to to sleep well at night but i've had clients who've not slept all night and then they're sort of bullishly trying to keep them awake self-awake all day and you end up in that situation where they're experiencing mood swings, they become hyper aroused. So actually it's a compassionate thing.
1: So it's almost the same benefits as kind of regular meditation or mindfulness kind of throughout the day. Absolutely, yeah. Let's talk about sleep hygiene. This is a bit of a buzz phrase of late, what exactly is it? is it, how important is it, and, and what should we all be doing to have
2: better sleep hygiene, Kat? So I'm not a fan of that word, if I'm completely honest. I find it very rigid, and sort of the whole idea is very rules-based. So I prefer just calling them, you know, healthy sleep habits, uh, which I can sort of amend, that's perfectly fine, because with rules, um, well, you know, I have to follow them. If I don't follow them, if I break the rules, I'm a bad person. Uh, any, any thought like that is not helpful for sleep. Um, but also, this idea I followed all the rules and then I was, come on, sleep. Where are you now? I've, I've done everything I've been told to do. Mm-hmm. So, taking this idea of more sort of healthy habits where I create a sleep friendly lifestyle and a sleep friendly environment, mindful of caffeine or other stimulants. It's not about cutting them out. You know, if, if you enjoy a cup of coffee, then have this, but again, have a cutoff time in the afternoon similarly alcohol whichever advice you want to follow if you have a glass of wine occasionally or or beer you know as part of socializing you know that that's fine but keep it as that because it can negatively impact on your sleep with the light you want the light in the morning you want sort of to dim it down and generally dim down the noise the noise from the outside world in the evening to just allow your body to slowly switch off from the sort of working day and switch over to sort of the restful part of of the day
1: let's unpack some of those things that you mentioned because i'm sure people will have questions kind of relating to each of those things so so booze alcohol you know a lot of people might have a drink to try and aid sleep guys that's just not a thing
0: i like how you've sort of uh, phrased that because that's very much what we see in our clinic is that we will see people using alcohol sadly as a a way so they're using the sedative like qualities of alcohol to perhaps numb the feelings of anxiety or to slow that racing or worrisome mind and to try and sort of help them you know sort of fall asleep and the reality is it's not a long-term workable solution and most people know that and so many people who come to us are you know who are taking it what we have to do is we have to teach them all of the tools to sort of learn how to sleep better, but then sort of how to gradually sort of come off that over a period of time, because that's what what we would call a sleep aid. You know, just in general, alcohol, sadly, is not sleep's friend. Um, You know, the the research is pretty sort of clear that if you're drinking alcohol near to sleep, it's going to disturb our sleep. And so, again, it is always about a balance. And so I would say, you know, out of the, the seven days of the week I would say you know at least four we we shouldn't have any alcohol in the system because that will ensure that we get good night's sleep and and then if you are drinking on the other days just try to leave as much time between sort of drinking and sleeping I don't I realize it makes it quite challenging
1: um, King, that's all right we can <laughs>
0: as we get older as well it seems to have greater impact on our sleep as well so I think learning to um, lessen that reliance on alcohol can be a really positive move for better quality sleep I think you just
1: learn that the hard way
0: as you get older as well sadly don't you what about caffeine we were running a sleep study and uh, one of our study requirements is people weren't allowed to consume caffeine and this this person said rather unusually that they wanted to go out onto the, the, the Brompton Road with all of the electrodes on the head and extra you know, for, for, for a little bit of a break. And uh, just before we're about to put them to sleep. Uh, sort of allow them to fall asleep and um, they went out and then they came back and we put them to sleep and and they slept and but the interesting thing is they spent most of the night sort of bouncing around in light sleep and then in the morning when they woke up I said can I just check did you have any caffeine he said oh yes when I nipped out I went and had a double espresso and uh, (laughs) you know which obviously for my sake I'd just been awake all night watching this person (laughs) sleep trying to do some research and what it highlighted to me back then was the fact that this person had actually managed to fall asleep okay Okay but just hadn't managed to achieve any decent quality sleep and I think so to answer that question for anyone who can have a double espresso and fall asleep yes they might be able to but it's not particularly good we do need to limit the amount of caffeine that we have in our system try to switch to herbal or decaf alternatives or caffeine-free alternatives from midday onwards
1: and decaf really works you know there's people always saying that decaf has loads of caffeine in it still but no you think it's it's a good enough
0: substitute decaf certainly still has caffeine in it and I had a decaf coffee this morning and I'm still buzzing off it so um, that's because I don't drink a huge amount of caffeine these days how much caffeine you consume will determine you know sort of how much it it affects you
1: um
2: cat is sugar a trigger as well for for a bad night's sleep some people is Mm. so again it depends on on the sensitivity so it can then make sort of yeah more more alert but it's not just this short term it's actually the long-term effects of the sugar consumption particularly in the evening because it messes up with our insulin levels and then over time you know can contribute to a diabetes Um, as well as reduce the quality of the sleep. And we know that poor sleep or lack of sleep also can contribute to diabetes. So it's kind of a double whammy that you get there. So I guess it's a bit like with what Guy just said about the the caffeine. It's it's just being aware when you consume it. It's getting that balance, you know, into our lives. And learning what works for you.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care.
1: whilst we're on the subject of things that can affect sleep tech we've got to talk about tech about blue lights phones laptop screens guy again is it personal or should everybody just be taking time out before bed away from their screens
0: yeah absolutely I I think this is a sort of you know one of the the simplest, most powerful ways in which people can improve their sleep in the modern world. And the simple fact is is that we know we are spending more and more time on our screens. An average adult now spends about 11 hours in front of screens. And you touched on blue light there, which is always sort of, you know, sort of picked up on the fact that blue light is the same wavelength as sunlight. And as Kat was sort of mentioning you know, sunlight plays a really important role, or the light dark cycle plays a really important role in our sleep, uh, in regulating our sleep and wake cycle. And so, you know, sunlight helps to wake us up. Darkness helps to trigger sleep. When you're sat in bed looking at some sort of device, well, then what ha- what's happening is that light is hitting light-sensitive cells in your eyes, and that's relaying to your brain, tricking it that it actually thinks it needs to be awake. And so it confuses your entire circadian rhythm. We want to be appreciating the fact that we, we've we evolved to live on a planet that Rotates between light and dark. We want to respect the sort of a, a gradual darkening down, sort of a couple of hours before going to bed. And but it's not just all about the blue light as well. It's also the the brightness, the intensity of the screen. So, you know, simple things people can do is just reduce down the brightness of their, their phones and their tablets and their TVs, switch not, schedule their blue light filters. But also if we just spent a little bit less time on our screens as well, because you also get the, you know, you get the emotional and cognitive stimulation from them. So having a little bit of a, a digital detox every single day at the end of the day, I think is a very healthy thing, not just for our sleep, but also for our our mental health. Let's talk about different types
1: of Sleep problems. I think we'll get to kind of insomnia and and I suppose more clinical issues in a moment. Everybody I know suffers from a different type of sleep issue. So so let's start with people who can't drop off or people who take an hour to fall
2: asleep. Why is that, cat And what can they do to improve that? So what is happening when you're lying there? For many people, it will be a racing mind replaying the day or the next day, and with that come uncomfortable in sort of um, emotions. And we often sort of get sucked in and caught up in in these experiences, in these thoughts. And what we're teaching in the clinic is, is a different way of responding to these thoughts, is a different way of handling these thoughts that you don't get absorbed in them, right? That you learn instead to step back and that sort of mindfulness inspired practices that are there to to help you step back from what's going on and remain in the calmer place
1: so go and give us a hack for anyone who is listening to this podcast and is lying in bed tonight having this issue what what can they do a, a kind of a rough example of something they can try guy to to drop off a little bit easier
0: one of the simplest ways to help people say manage you know the most common issue which is a a racing mind is is what I call getting out of your head and into your bed what we find is that the mind is sort of racing all over the place and we're we're struggling to settle it and so what we want to do is find something which is going to ground us so use a grounding exercise in the moment and so a really easy thing to do is to notice our sense of touch and so that's what I mean by getting out of your head in into your bed. So we might get them to describe where they can feel the bed in contact with their body. So it might be, I can feel the duvet touching my toes. I can feel, and they slowly scan up. I can feel the mattress on my calves. I can feel, you know, the sheet on my knees and, you know, all the way up to, I can feel the pillow on my cheek, for example. And yes, their mind's going to race off and go, yeah, but if I don't fall asleep soon, tomorrow's going to be a disaster. And you sort of go, okay, thanks mind. That's great. But hey, I'm just going to come back to, you know, just centering myself with this, on this simple connection between the bed and the body. And what we're wanting to do there is we're, cultivating what we call psychological flexibility, which is a sort of a fancy term for saying we're opening up someone's willingness to experience the thoughts that might be showing up as they show up moment by moment. So we're wanting to change that relationship. So big difference is, and this is, is, we've pioneered the use of something called acceptance and commitment therapy, is it's not trying to get rid of the thoughts. It's not trying to change the thoughts into something more positive. It's more just changing the way they relate to it. They're going, okay, I'm open to having these thoughts in this moment and being awake. And by doing that, that's where you start to tune into that message which you're sending the brain which is actually it's safe and with safety comes sleep.
1: So you're not fighting your own thoughts essentially. Exactly. What about people, I'm in this camp, who fall asleep quite naturally and then maybe half an hour into sleep, an hour into sleep, wake up quite suddenly with a jolt. Is that just your rhythm? So
2: waking up relatively soon after you've you've just fallen asleep and as you said sort of a jolt and often there's a sensation of sort of a surge surge of adrenaline or sometimes clients say sort of electricity it sounds like there's activity um and i think the first thing there is a little bit what guy was just saying about the grounding is to just orientate yourself because he can be like whoa what just happened right and a bit a bit confused surprised maybe a little bit anxious about what just happened. And so just coming back into bed again, into, into the present moment. And I would say, just take a breath in and a breath out. Okay. Let's just, let's just go breath in, breath out, and then go back to, so what's happening? What am I experiencing inside my body? Right. And so this time it's more about going inside and just almost looking and scanning inside the body. What's just happened? And your mind will probably have, it's been saying something all along. So, you know, checking in with the mind. Okay, yeah, thanks for your, you know, possible explanation or prediction What about what will happen next. I'm just going to come back to the body, to the breath, and then in a way, come back to the bed, you know, again, grounding yourself within the bed. Is it the same for people who wake up at three, four and
1: are suddenly wide awake? Why do we feel like that? Why does that happen when you're like, oh my God, I'm so awake
0: right now? If we take our sort of insomnia clients, they've got this trained Response where their brain now sort of associates nighttime wakefulness with sort of struggle and anxiety and fear. And, you know, they can wake up and suddenly be on red alert. And, you know, can be their brain can be going a million miles an hour. They can feel sort of, you know, uh, the rate, you know, the heart is, is racing, etc. And so that, that can explain how you can, you know, you can wake up at three or four and, and be in that place. But actually, you know, even if you don't suffer from insomnia, that three to 4am slot is a really vulnerable time point. Because what we find is when we fall asleep, we've got a brain chemical called adenosine, which is this kind of sleepy brain chemical, which kind of muddles and fuddles the brain, it helps to sort of sedate us in a way. And that kind of helps us to fall off. But by the time we get to three or 4am, that's kind of gone. And So you're waking up perhaps out of a normal sleep cycle and your brain, you know, just thinks it's hilarious to suddenly go, uh, all right, what have we got to worry about? And, And so it can suddenly be going a million miles an hour. You know, crucially, as Kat was sort of touching on, how you respond to these awakenings is absolutely fundamental because, you know, if you respond in that sort of fighting sort of approach you know if you're challenging if you're responding by grabbing your phone and looking at it well that's just going to put you into a state of active wakefulness you're sort of moving yourself further away from sleep what we want to sort of teach people is how to respond in a way that cultivates quiet wakefulness this sort of almost stepping stone back to allowing you to fall back to sleep
1: so you shouldn't get up read a book make a cup of tea, any of the
0: above. There's lots of traditional advice, which says, you know, if you've been awake for you know, more than 15 minutes, you should get up and, you know, do something. The last thing you want to do is lie in bed struggling. And, you know, we totally agree that you shouldn't be lying in bed struggling, but we disagree that you should get out of bed and go and do something. And, the, the you know, my big issue with that is if that can sort of create a new sleep association, which the night is about getting up every 15 minutes and going and doing something. And so I'm much more keen to teach teach people how to stay in bed and rest because you get so much benefit from actually just resting but then changing the way people relate to that that wakefulness and this is the paradoxical bit about you know sort of using acceptance and commitment therapy is that we're increasing people's willingness to be awake um, and by doing that removing the obstacles in the way of sleep
1: got you okay I like that. Kat, we've all been there where we've got a big day the next day, you know, you've got a big meeting, you've got something you're nervous for, a big event, something you're excited for. And obviously that can prohibit good sleep or sleep at all. Is that psychosomatic? I'm guessing it's partly adrenaline and all of the kind of things we've touched on, but is it also in your brain, you're like, I might not sleep tonight or it would be really detrimental if I don't sleep tonight. So therefore you don't, like, are we all just getting
2: ourselves into a really bad cycle on those occasions? I mean, getting worked up a little (laughs) bit. To some degree, yeah you get caught up, you know, in the thoughts in this imagination of the next day, how you would like it to be, but um, how you may not end up in this perfect position if you don't get enough sleep, right? Mm -hmm. And then the lack of sleep suddenly becomes a threat. And that threat, although it's in a way just in your head, it's an imaginary, rather than a bear or a lion standing in front of you, your body then reacts to this idea of a threat in the exact same way. And that's when tension uh, follows, adrenaline, maybe cortisol, anxiety, all of these uncomfortable sort of emotions. And then we realize, A, we're not asleep, but we also have suddenly all this uncomfortable sort of emotion in in our body, all these body sensations we don't want. Thoughts of, oh, they are getting in the way of me sleeping and being this perfect human the next day. And then we start to struggle with what's showing up in the body. And that unfortunately just sucks us in even more into that fight position and actually keeps adding fuel to the fire. The first step there is, again, is to notice, ah, my mind is thinking about the next day. It's making a prediction, right? And that that is a prediction in that moment. At 2 a.m., me thinking about how I will look at 10 if I haven't slept is a prediction. It can happen. It may not happen. But truth of the matter is right now, reality actually is I'm lying in bed and I'm awake. Full stop. And so learning to come back to that reality in in sort of a a non-judgmental way, that's what what we're teaching my
1: boss Georgie her advice is always that you know no one ever died from a bad night's sleep you know you can you can function the next day and I've always found that a really helpful tip and I lie there and I tell myself well so what okay so you'll be tired tomorrow you know personally that helps me You're yeah. the, that's, briefly can we touch on insomnia I mean how do you know what exactly is insomnia and how do you know if you suffer from that as opposed to just kind of bad sleep, sleep
0: habits guy yeah so insomnia just means difficulty sleeping okay so you know everyone on the planet will experience some form of insomnia at some point in their lives. But when we talk about chronic insomnia, there's lots of different definitions, you know, I could give you the clinical definition, which is experiencing sort of a, a you know a difficulty falling asleep that generally means taking longer than sort of 30 minutes uh, whether that's falling asleep at the beginning of the night or back to sleep in the middle of the night for a period of 3 or more days per week lasting longer than 3 months where it begins to impact your sort of uh, your daily life, it's affecting your mood and your ability to cope. But, you know, at sleep school, we definitely talk about the sort of the vicious cycle whereby it's it's the it's the worry about not sleeping and you experience poor sleep you begin to worry about not sleeping and the more you worry the less you sleep and the less you sleep the more you worry that's one of the sort of the, the main components of insomnia and it's you know very much connected to so anxiety and it's, it's you know very much what we do at sleep school
1: again kind of are there ways to manage insomnia oneself or should you be seeking
0: professional advice to what extent can you sort of cure yourself of it with those practices that we talked about? There's no reason why people can't uh, manage, you know, insomnia themselves. Yeah. Um, and as I said, most people will go through perhaps a short bout of insomnia connected to a stressful period or event in their lives. And once that stressor disappears, then they're sort of in their sleep will return back to normal. Where I would say, you know, people probably want to seek help is where it's become persistent. And what typically happens is when we can't sleep, we seek to try and control it. And I've got this phrase, which is, you know, if you ask a normal sleeper what they do to sleep, they'll tell you they do nothing. If you ask an insomniac, they'll give you a list as long as they're on. And basically that is controlling behavior. What happens is we start to sort of uh, change all of our behaviors. We'll start to do way more sleep hygiene, for example. And we start to adopt certain, you know, sort of sleep aids using alcohol, perhaps, you know, taking medication, whatever it may be. This is where the so-called solutions become part of the problem. And that's where I would definitely say, you know, coming to visit sleep school, because it's now got to a place where your brain is now learning to associate the nighttime with struggle, fear and anxiety. And what we'll see is many of our clients will be perhaps, you know, maybe feeling sort of sleepy, in the evenings, feeling tired. But as soon as they move towards the bedroom, suddenly they become wide awake, suddenly their heart races. And and that can be, you know, really scary because they think, well, I don't understand why this is happening. You know, normally, you know, I I would walk into the bedroom and feel calm and relaxed. And now I'm feeling like I'm about to give a public presentation, you know, or it can be the fact that you fall asleep fine. But again, like we said, you wake up in the middle of the night and you can feel on red alert. And that's where I think, you know, having a a trained therapist is going to help to navigate your, your way out of that effectively and get you sleep naturally to
1: undo those associations presumably. Yes. Can I ask you about supplements and sleep aids and kind of debunking them, I suppose. Is there
2: anything one can take that helps cat? I mean if your body is deficient in something, right, then it is good to to get a supplement to top up these these levels. But then I think the long term use of these supplements or the things that can set up sort of a reliance only if I have I don't know, my cup of chamomile tea or my magnesium, then I will be able to sleep. That's unhelpful because if you ever run out of them, you're really in a a dire situation. To top something up, absolutely fine. And occasionally you use something, you know, because you like the taste, for example. That that's fine, but long term, when I work with clients, you know, often their wishes. I I don't want to rely on the supplement. If one has an
1: answer to that question, whether it's some kind of medication or whether it's some kind of environmental thing, that's problematic. You know, you shouldn't only be able to sleep if you're wearing, I don't know, a certain set of pajamas or or whatever it may be. You need to be able to sleep. I don't mean standing up on the tube in a relatively kind of pared
0: back setting. We say have a high level of sleep flexibility. Lovely, thank you. That's what I was going for. (laughs) Because what we see is that when you can't sleep, you become very inflexible around your sleep. You start to go, you know, I have to have the right bedroom environment. You know, it's it's got to be pitch black. It's got to be perfect temperature. It's got to be noise free. I've got to be wearing this. You know, my partner has got to be in this position. You know, it can become incredibly controlling. You can change the whole of your life right down to, well, I can't see my friends. I won't go and stay away I won't go on holiday you know in order to try and get these specific parameters and you can see that's what breeds that inflexibility and with inflexibility, brings you know sort of hyper arousal and anxiety and and insomnia yeah that makes sense
1: Are there any gadgets you can buy that can improve? And, you know, I'm talking things like the loomy light. We've talked about daylight and how helpful that is. Like, are there things out there that you rate to help a good night's sleep?
0: Well, I guess the first thing I would say is that the the Sleep School app. (laughs) Um, Well, naturally. (laughs) I mean, I think you mentioned a moment ago about, you know, can people help themselves to sleep better by themselves? And I mean, what we've tried to do is condense all of the sort of the knowledge and tools and therapy that we've given over sort of decades to people into a sort of an app-based format that educates people about their sleep. So, you know, it, rather than it's, it's not it's not a tracking device, it's not trying to sort of measure their sleep. It's more of a tool about providing education to help them make the you know, positive behavior change required for them to improve their sleep naturally. But if we look at other products, you know, sort of sunrise lamps, for example, they can, uh, you know, we were talking about alarms. Um, I'm not a fan of a, a traditional alarm clock, but certainly an alarm, you know, a, a, a sunrise lamp, which is gradually flooding the room full of light and pulling someone out of a sleep-wake cycle, that can actually be a nice way to to wake up. So I definitely sort of encourage that. You know, the other big one is sleep trackers. I struggle with sleep trackers. They do have pros, which is that for some individuals, they've certainly helped them to understand that relationship between perhaps some of their lifestyle factors and their sleep. So they've gone, okay, you know, when I drink too much alcohol or drink too much caffeine or I'm too stressed, then my sleep seems to be disturbed. The major problem we have with them is the, the accuracy is still not sort of clinical grade. And actually, they've sort of given birth to a, a, a new sleep disorder, ortho insomnia. So obsessive uh, heightened sleep anxiety due to obsessive tracking. So, you know, when it comes to our insomnia clients, absolutely, we say, you know, sort of don't track basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've always stayed clear for exactly that reason. I know I'd become obsessed and that that can't be good, can it? We're running out of time, so I'm going to hit you with some quick fire final questions. So one sentence answers, please, if you can. Kat, do dreams matter? Are dreams ever ever indicative of your quality of sleep?
2: Not of your quality of sleep. I think they're much more indicative of what's going on in your life. Not as a one-to-one, you know, um, a picture. But uh, it can highlight that maybe, you know, something something is stressing you out or, you know, anxiety provoking that something isn't going right. So I think um, it's it's worth being interested in your in your dreams. And it's more about sort of the overall message rather than sort of individual elements in that guy can you catch up on sleep over a weekend
0: you can if you if you just get a small amount of sleep so you know the the crucial thing if you have a long weekend line which I'm imagining what you're talking about then the problem is is that can cause circadian disruption so it it basically knocks everything out of sync and so that impacts your digestive system and every other biological process but you know having a a sort of a short lie-in so you know sort of 30 minutes or maybe up to an hour you can benefit from that and that will help to repay a little bit of debt yes
1: Katarina how bad is it? to hit the snooze button in the morning how bad
2: bad <laughs> um it just you know you i would say you know push it back to the latest point and then just get up so make sure you get that sleep rather than reducing that quality of the sleep guy finally what's more important quality or quantity when it comes to sleep
0: both great <laughs> <laughs> sorry that was a really short <laughs> answer
1: Good, i love it that's that's perfect um, guy you told us about the sleep school app is that free to download Do you have to pay what more do we need to know
0: Sleep School app is, uh, uh, sev- has a seven-day free trial, so you can access all of the series and courses within the app, mm-hmm. um, including our 30-day overcoming insomnia course, which might be relevant to a lot of your listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's $29.99 uh, for an annual subscription after that.
1: And if you feel like you need a little bit more assistance, where do you go? How do you begin the process with Sleep School?
0: Just go to sleepschool.org and you'll be able to find out everything that we do so if you'd like to you know book a private clinic for example just go to sleepschool.org and uh, uh, you can sort of book there or you can book via the app as well
1: perfect all right i'm off to download the app thank you both so much guy and Kat. that was so informative. I feel a little tired now. I think, I think it's got me obsessing over sleep. Um, it's a bit early for a nap. But anyway, thank you so much um, for joining us. If you have any questions, do email podcast at shirlux.com. You know, we love hearing from you. Don't forget, also please to rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends and we'll see you next time. Bye Bye